In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. The Christian Church in Western Europe battled through a season of conflict in the 16th century, which, as we all know, came to be called the Reformation. A trove of treasures came out of that often nasty period. And we admit that dumb things happen when humans descend into blind rage. Though we trace our Presbyterian origins to that area, we allow that many proverbial babies were thrown out with the bloody bathwater of religious wrangling. Like Mary. Not a baby, but an early teen, actually. Marrying age according to the practices of the day in an arranged engagement to Joseph, she lived a poor girl life as she made her way through the days. A remarkably difficult endeavor at that time. Then God, by way of the angel Gabriel, intervened, and the rest is history. Thanks to classy Dr. Luke, the master gospel detailer, we possess the heavenly narrative that lifts our spirit this holy season, still best heard in the King James Version. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And off we go from there. But that's a little ahead of where we are today. This is Mary's Sunday. So why Mary? A few hints again from Luke. She was a Hebrew from the tribe of Judah, one of Jacob's 12 sons. She shared this lineage with David, the pinnacle king of Israel. What about Joseph? Jews tended to marry within the clan or tribe, so he, like Mary, was likely a descendant of Judah. So what's so great about the tribe of Judah? After Israel's greatest days, the nation split, then was conquered. Hopeful prophets 
pointed to the coming of the Messiah, a descendant of David, of Judah. Hebrews understood the, the anointed one as a human with divine blessing and authority, along with superhuman abilities. One who would rally the crestfallen people, cast off the oppressor nations, and reestablish Israel's Davidic glory. The people were hoping and praying and waiting for the new David who would come, as Mary says, to bring down the powerful from their thrones and lift up the lowly. Men had come through the ages and pretended to be the Messiah. None was. Still, hope, being hope, survived. Dr. Luke, a Greek fellow, had carefully tied the strands of this yarn together. He must have read his own writing and questioned with Mary, Lord, how can this be? On the one hand, the narrative weaves and wanders down such fantastical lanes that no one will believe it. On the other hand, it all makes sense. The stars, the planets, Neptune, Saturn, and, and Jupiter, the need, the shepherds, the will, the good genes all align to see the birth of God's Son, child of Mary, Savior of the world. Why then do we Protestants, we reformers, have such a problem with Mary? For a few reasons, I think. First of all, in our minds, she is only a little girl. Youth, especially females, were not valued in ancient societies. Even folks like Samuel and, and John the Baptist are remembered because they persisted in their youthful callings into their adult lives. And Mary? She grew to be only a mother. A good mother, but just a mother. Protestant leaders, for all of their good intentions, didn't value mothers all that much. Let me say, for the record, loudly and clearly, We've learned a lot about the value of mothers since then. Praise the Lord. I had to add that just to keep myself out of trouble. Secondly, we downplayed Mary because our Roman Catholic sisters and brothers fussed so mightily over her. Honoring Mary went out in the Reformation with the statues and liturgies and stained glass and organs and, and the other priceless treasures Romans thought were of immense value. And Protestants, in many cases, 
quite literally trashed. True, Catholics make some extra-biblical claims about Mary that we don't. I'm not arguing with who was right or wrong, or if it even matters. Only that a lot of senseless waste occurs when we put our brains on the back burner, which we humans are more able to do than we would like to admit. Glad to say that we are done with many, though not all, of those old battles. Finally, we let our search for certainty confuse our reverence for Jesus' mother. What does it mean that she was a virgin? Why was she chosen? Did she have other children? Does she possess special powers? All good questions. We Protestants like answers, solid answers. And we don't have them because, to some degree, we scoot right by Mary to Jesus, who presents a clearer vision of what's important. No doubt about that. Still, more appreciation for Mary may help us live more faithfully as disciples of her son. Turns out, she was pretty devoted to him, shaping his life and perspectives more, most likely, than any other person. Debbie Thomas, author of this past week's Thursday Voices article, referring to Mary's Magnificat, makes this statement, which, when I read it, simply grabbed me by the heart. This is what she says. Imagine Jesus in his cradle, the Magnificat, a lullaby Mary pours into his ears each night until his heart burns for justice as fiercely as hers does. Yes, one could reasonably claim that Mary was the world's first and most devoted Christian, the greatest influence on the one we call Lord. We do honor Mary these days, even in many Protestant churches, more than even when I was a youngster. God decided that Mary, existing in the DNA continuum that traced back to David and then beyond to Judah, Mary had what it took to accomplish the greatest incarnational miracle ever. She sets a pretty high bar on the dedication to Jesus scale. Her willingness to say yes stands as an example of obedience to emulate. And the point? God never finishes employing unlikely people in the salvation story. God never finishes employing unlikely people 
in the salvation story. People like Mary and me and you. We honor Mary by asking, in what ways may God be calling us to say yes as this work goes on? What task am I resisting? So our salvation story hinges in part on that poor young girl, scared out of her wits by gaudy Gabriel, and who has the guts to say yes anyway. Thinking more carefully about her gives me a new appreciation for the prayer that bears her name. Makes me want to add my Presby voice to billions of Christians who have offered this simple statement of reverence a zillion times. We understand Mary's role in salvation history differently, but it still holds value and speaks to us these many years later. Some of you know it by heart, even though you may not have recited it in years. For others, it's in the order of worship. In gratitude to Mary and in appreciation for her faith, I invite you to join me. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen and amen. <laughs>